Welcome in again, everyone, to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and also the radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, 11 to noon on weekdays on board as well. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. You can always get links to our twice-weekly podcast there. Available also on our web host at Podbean.com and plenty of apps including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and tune in the Talking Tide podcast for this midweek edition. Going to preview Alabama's forthcoming road game at Mississippi State. Uh, Travis uh, coming off a pretty heartbreaking loss to LSU, and, and we've seen over the years, probably more often than not, the loser of the Alabama LSU game, which of course has typically been LSU of late. Sometimes they don't finish the season so strong. Some air comes out of the balloon. And Nick Saban's remarks in news conferences, uh, Mississippi State Week, kind of indicate that that he's looking to stamp that out and avoid it at any cost. Hasn't happened often from the Alabama perspective. Uh, you got to go back to 2011, of course. And Alabama goes over to State uh, after dropping that 9-6 overtime Decision to LSU and Tuscaloosa, sort of a workmanlike performance, as we both recall, from eight years ago in a 24-7 win. The last time Alabama went to Starkville for an early kickoff following a home loss to LSU, we both recall that one. That was 2007, Sylvester Croom, probably the, the shining moment, right, in Sylvester Croom's tenure. At Mississippi State. No doubt. State takes care of Alabama there at Davis Wade Stadium. You had the 100-yard interception return, Chase. We were both there that day. Yes, yes. As I I recall, for some nutty reason, they ran uh, three tight ends on the field and showed run and and ran play action with – with no timeouts, everybody knew they weren't going to run because they didn't have, they couldn't stop the clock. They had to throw. They had an extra down, as I recall. Uh, nobody was buying that run, even with three. They could have put six tight ends on the field. Mississippi State wasn't buying the run. Yeah, and Nick Saban wasn't buying Major Applewhite as the offensive coordinator after that 2007 season either. No, no, Major uh, moved on rather uh, <laughs> rather briskly uh, following that first season. Back now, though, back now as an analyst. Yeah, Yeah, he's an analyst. Back again, back for more. You can come home again. A lot of them do it. A lot of them circle their way back. A lot of them come with a lot of cash in their pockets, you know, when they come back. Those buyouts they come back with, you know. Uh, Butch Jones, most notably, probably. uh, Nick likes those buyouts. Nick likes those buyout offsets. Nick likes those. He likes those real good. Those spend good, you know. (laughs) No doubt about it. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Alabama goes into this road game against Mississippi State. Really a, a typical, very typical Alabama team, excuse me, Mississippi State team, Travis, I think, in, in that it's a strong running team. It's a team that uh, the offense would, under Moorhead's, pretty indistinguishable, I think, uh, schematically from what Dan Mullen used to run. They get a lot of mileage on the ground out of the quarterbacks, just like Mullen did. Um, it's probably uh, probably not quite as good a defense as we've typically seen Mississippi State have. I think yards per game-wise, they're ranked 
uh, in the 60s nationally, which puts them right in the middle of the pack. Uh, but w- one thing about this Mississippi State offense that stands out to me, Travis, they got more rushing yards than passing yards. And in 2019, there cannot be many teams that can make that claim. There can't. And look, you know, I, I, I do see similarities still in year two under Joe Moorhead offensively to what Dan Mullen did. That was understandable a year ago because Nick Fitzgerald was your holdover quarterback. And we all knew going into last season that Moorhead, even with the work he did, and Trace McSorley at Penn State was kind of a dual threat guy. But the word, at least what you were hearing out of Starkville, was that at some point, early on in his tenure, Moorhead was going to shift more towards a passing attack, specifically a down-the-field vertical passing attack. Uh, and the, with that, he goes out and handpicks his grad transfer quarterback, Tommy Stevens, from his previous stop there at Penn State, uh, have a true freshman in Garrett Schrader that comes in mid-year, uh, jumps right into that mix. If If this offense was truly going to sort of continue along that Dan Mullen track, I got to think Keaton Thompson would have been more of a factor in the quarterback race than he was. Because based on the depth chart at the end of last year, Keaton Thompson looked like he was going to step into that role as the starter. Uh, Joe Moorhead pretty much did everything he could in terms of personnel acquisition to keep that from happening. So I think he wants more of a, I wouldn't say a pro-style passer, but more of a pro-style passing game, you know, in terms of route concepts and the quarterback being able to, to hit some throws in the intermediate and deeper areas of the field. Uh, but when you got Kylan Hill at running back, it's, it's hard not to get that guy a lot of touches. So from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. I, I guess a long way around it. Tommy Stevens, Garrett Schrader, they can run. Uh, but I think more of what Joe Moorhead is envisioning for this offense it's not the heavy dosage of it like it was with Nick Fitzgerald. Kylan Hill at running back over a thousand yards already on the season, 1027, nine touchdowns and doing it in a Mississippi state offense that, that, that is pedestrian at wide receiver. Once again, every, I don't know what it's going to take for Mississippi state to get a couple of really explosive receivers on the outside. Uh, but but it's it's uh, it's been forever since they've really scared anybody on the outside. Some years even with one guy, much less with two. So you know Kylan Hill is seeing some pretty stacked boxes, and nevertheless he's averaging almost six yards per carry. He's one of the best running backs in the SEC, bar none. No doubt about it. And when you look at really his last couple of games, and you can say, well. You know, those defenses, Texas A&M, Arkansas, you know, they're not going to bring to mind the 78 Pittsburgh Steelers or the 85 Chicago Bears. Um, but in his last two games, Kylan Hill a combined 384 yards and four touchdowns. And that's on 42 carries combined. So it's not like he's getting 35 carries per game. His last two games, A&M, he averaged 7.1 per carry. And then against a really bad Arkansas team, as we know. He averaged 11.1. So this is a guy, dynamic guy, showed some good things in the game in Tuscaloosa last year, just didn't get a lot of touches. I think he was seven for 47, something like that. Uh, He had the controversial touchdown called back, if you recall, that phantom block in the back at the goal line in Alabama shutout of the Bulldogs uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. But yeah, if you're the Alabama defense, you're not getting much of a break from Clyde Edwards 
dealing, as you alluded to, with all the other weapons that LSU has. Mississippi State, I think, is is upgraded in some ways. Osiris Mitchell continues to improve. They went out and got Isaiah Zuber, a grad transfer from Kansas State. But no, this isn't uh, <laughs> this isn't Marshall and uh, Jefferson and you know the guys that that Alabama saw last week. Defensively, Mississippi State taking a pretty big dip from last year. Number one defense in the country last year, led by a dominant defensive line. Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, a couple of big-time players who went early in the NFL draft. Haven't really – you wouldn't expect it because Mississippi State uh, doesn't reload uh, like Alabama does. Uh, But with those two guys gone – They've been not nearly as good on the defensive line, although in the back seven, there's some real talent back there. Cam Dantzler, one of the best defensive backs in the country. Errol Thompson, Leo Lewis, a couple of pretty solid linebackers. Uh, But it's that defensive line, Travis, I think, that's taken the biggest hit uh, after a, a highly successful Mississippi State defense from 2018. Yeah, and it wasn't just the first round guys like Sweat and Simmons. I mean, they had some solid contributors to that defensive line that that also left the program uh, after the 2018 season. And you're right. I think the back end is where the more attractive matchups in the game will likely take place. A guy that didn't play against Alabama last year that will, I'm interested in this matchup, Jerry Judy in the slot working against Brian Cole, because Brian Cole, when you look at him, He's one of these guys with NFL measurables, and you got to think when he does get uh, that opportunity uh, to, to test, he's going to do very well. He's 6'2", about 195, 200 pounds, so he's a bigger slot corner. So I'm interested to see how that works out uh, from a matchup perspective. At the linebacker positions, Leo Lewis, you mentioned Errol Thompson's a Florence native. Uh, a ton of tackles the last couple of seasons from that middle linebacker position. State's been dealing with a suspension issue throughout the season. It's been referred to as the Tudor Gate 10. And I always love, you know how much I love when we uh, assign those sort of uh, labels to suspend, like the Naughty Nine at SMU. The Naughty Nine (laughs) back at SMU in the mid-80s. Well, this year we have the Tudor Gate 10. And it it goes back to an off-season academic scandal they had over at State. Uh, had a uh, part-time, I believe it was a part-time uh, tutor, academic advisor that was actually doing a little bit more than just uh, helping the player study, was maybe uh, actually submitting the, the coursework. A little too uh, much work. Yeah, a little too much work. And uh, so with that, you remember Willie Gay Jr. in last year's game, weak side linebacker? Yep. Nine tackles, two sacks, interception against Alabama last year. State cannot come right out and announce that that these guys who were suspended for eight regular season games won't play this week. They'll, they'll probably do it right before game time or something like that. But Willie Gay, I don't think, is expected to play. He's already played in three regular season games. He could play in four. And your state, and yes, it's Alabama, but you still got that Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night that you're going to want to have those guys available for. So, you got to pick one here down the stretch of your state, and that's why Willie Gay uh, isn't expected to play on Saturday morning against Alabama. Yeah, you're Mississippi State. You're sitting four and five, so you're you're hoping mm-hmm. to get to bowl eligibility. I guess at six and six, in some respects, that Ole Miss game maybe bigger than the Alabama game, just from a chance to win perspective. 
they like that golden egg real good, you know, and they are in possession of it in Starkville right now. So, uh, the, the, for the, they would they would not like to to give up possession of that golden egg and yes it, again it is Alabama I think if you're being realistic though and you're Mississippi State you're what a 20 21 and a 21 point home dog um, you get Ole Miss at home it is for the golden egg like you said there's an FCS win that's coming up after this game for State that's going to get you to five wins so yeah the uh, the egg bowl is going to come down to to bowl eligibility for State. Practice notes uh, on the Alabama practice field to a tongue of Aloha. Apparently some soreness and limited in practice this week. Nick Saban uh, pretty hesitant to say that uh, he's even going to play again. Is is Nick Saban kind of playing possum here with to a tongue of Aloha's status for this game, Travis? Or do you think there's a chance that, that maybe he does sit this one out with uh, soreness, as, as Nick Saban referred to it? He didn't re-injure, but he's sore. Yeah. Important distinction there, and that's that's a positive uh, if you're Tua Tonga Bialoa, Alabama fans, that team, uh, because a re-injury, uh, I think that would lend itself to not seeing Tua Tonga Bialoa for the, the remainder of the month, the remainder of the regular season. You know, it raised a few eyebrows, though, when we went out there Tuesday, and Tua was out there with the quarterbacks, but he had on basically tennis shoes. You know, he was in full gear had his helmet on, but he wasn't doing anything. And again, he was like in his training shoes. So, um, you know, Nick Saban on Wednesday has sort of continued the theme from last week. Uh, the difference being we saw Tua on the practice field early in LSU week. That hadn't really been the case. A little bit, I guess, more on Wednesday. Um, but it, it, does, it doesn't sound like possum to me. It, it sounds like that this truly will be a situation going into Thursday, Friday, right into the trip. And that's where maybe, you know, playing early has its advantages. I would think coming off a loss, you're ready to get back out on the field. So that 11 a.m. kick is, uh, is, is something you like. But in terms of trying to get to as much time and treatment as you possibly can, even those hours there on Saturday could make a difference. Nick Saban also with an update this week on kicker Will Reichert. Apparently will not play against Mississippi State, but Saban says – uh, hoping for a return sooner rather than later was his comment, which I guess can mean a few different things. But if it indicates anything, Travis, it's, it's that, that Saban does not consider Riker done for the season. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's the other side of what we just talked about with Tua in that the difference between soreness and re-injury. And when you heard that Will Riker had re-injured uh, that hip flexor, in, in my mind, that meant, if it was a month before for him to get back initially with a re-injury, you're probably talking about six weeks or so. We'll see. You know, I, I personally, uh, that type of injury for that position, uh, and we're talking about a re-injury, uh, which, in, which in my mind makes me think that it was, uh, you know, it, it became more severe the second time around. Um, I'll personally be surprised if we see Will Riker kick the rest of the regular season. Maybe we will. Maybe he'll be good to go. But I, if he's not ready to go for state, then why would you bring him back for Western Carolina? I, I would think at this point, it's either he kicks against Auburn in some form or fashion, or you know, you see him somewhere else uh, down the line in the postseason. Yeah, my thought on that was 
if you're going to – if he can come back and play in the regular season, he better be ready for Western Carolina because you don't want to throw him out there cold coming off right. the injury in the Iron Bowl on the road. You you want to get you want to get a look at him in a game, I would think, pre, before the Iron Bowl. If he can't get back for Western Carolina, I don't think you – I don't think you throw him, and back, that's, throw and him that's, out there against Auburn. That's why I don't – that's why I'm not – you know, high on his chances of kicking again in the regular season. Again, maybe it'll happen, you know, and maybe he will be good to go against Western Carolina, but I know that injury. I know the position he plays. I know what you're talking about when you say re-injury with those kind of injuries at those positions. And, uh, it, it, they've come up with a lot of medical advances, but soft tissue and, you know, how different it can be in, in each individual case for each individual, uh, it, it's still tough to, to figure out. Real quick, Alabama men's basketball update for our podcast listeners. Travis, Alabama 1-1 one and one on the regular season. Uh, blowout win over Florida Atlantic earlier this week, 78-59. That final score. Uh, Jaden Shackelford, the youngster who's, who's uh, scored a lot of points in the first two games, had 17. And that one, Javian Davis, a team-high 19 with nine rebounds. Notable, I guess, Travis, after after two games, uh, a one-and-one one start. Alabama now has already launched 67 three-point shots in two games. They are they are firing it from deep. Nate Oates promised it, and he's delivering on that, at least thus far. You know, if you have an early look in the shot clock and you don't take an uncontested three, there's a better chance, if you even if you miss it, that you're coming out of the game than uh, if you do take it. So he wants those three-point shots going up. That's exactly what's happening. Uh, That's been sporadic in terms of conversions of those shots. 30%, 20 for 67. To to this point. So uh, he he, he likes the the shooting, uh, but like most coaches, he likes makes (laughs) even better. He likes seeing the shots go up, but he likes seeing them go in. Uh, even better. But this is a team coming off the news with Javon Quinterly, the Villanova transfer, having his waiver appeal request denied uh, before uh, game two for the Crimson Tide earlier in the week against FAU. Uh, it's a thin basketball team right now when you include some of the injuries that this team is dealing with. Uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. just going to have to be an absolute workhorse. And, and, you know, there's guys that play a lot of minutes on every team. Now, there's guys that play 35, 37, 38 minutes a game. But Kyra Lewis plays on the ball for 37, 38 minutes. I mean, when you're playing Kyra Lewis 36, 37 minutes against FAU, I mean, that kind of tells you when you get into the the depths of conference play, Chase, this is a guy that, you know, that that, that offseason workout program we've heard is a bear under Nate Oates. So uh, I, I think, uh, think Kyra is going to need every bit of what he got. Next game up for Alabama, playing Rhode Island away from home. I think that one's on Friday, so uh, we'll see if Alabama can uh, get over 500, uh, 2-1 on the season. We'll uh, bring that update back at you uh, on the Sunday night edition of the Talking Tide podcast following that Mississippi State game. Talking Tide at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in our web host, podbean.com. And the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. Going to thank a couple of sponsors right now that help keep us around and, and talking here on the Pod Waves. Starting with North River Dental Associates, the charter sponsor of Talking Tide, an outstanding 
place to get your teeth taken care of, your own teeth, your family's teeth. It's really where you need to go. Dr. Jack Smalley, former Alabama football player, has a very qualified professional staff of dental hygienists who can give you uh, any sort of dental treatment you might need. They've got teeth whitening services, endodontics, cosmetic dentistry, whatever you need, they can get you taken care of. And on a routine cleaning, you're going to be in and out of there typically in under an hour. Short waits, professional staff, and convenient location. 1100 Fairfax Park off of McFarland Boulevard in Northport. Uh, Dr. Jack is uh, definitely got it going on over there. You can make an appointment online at NorthRiverDentist.com. The phone number 752-3506. Again, that's North River Dental Associates. Also want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits at 2221 University Boulevard in downtown Tuscaloosa. Hunter Wiggins and his bunch of talented bartenders are serving up some outstanding signature cocktails over at Session. Only been open a couple of months. I think they're right around two months now since uh, getting things opened up down there in early September, and and you just can't beat it. Try the Capri. It's one of the best drinks down there. It's got that Tito's handmade vodka, uh, grapefruit, cane sugar, and a piece of every Capri that gets purchased down there uh, is going to go to the Metro Animal Shelter of Tuscaloosa. So uh, do a, a good thing for uh, canines in need, ordering up that Capri over there at Session cocktails and spirits smoke free indoors smoking area outdoors so it serves the smoker and the non-smoker matter of fact with this cold weather hitting tuscaloosa lately uh, they've got one of those propane uh, powered heat towers uh, going outside in the in the lounge area which is which is where the smokers uh, tend to hang out so you can kind of stay warm as things get cold in Tuscaloosa but indoors uh, it's non-smoking and a super classy environment over at session cocktails and spirits I'm going to tell you about heat pizza bar downtown Tuscaloosa at government plaza so easy to access heat pizza bar because the government plaza parking garage is adjacent the heat pizza bar. And I really think that city officials chase had heat pizza bar in mind when they constructed that parking garage, because they knew everyone was going to want to go to a place like heat. So there you go. Heat pizza bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at government Plaza. Great, great signature pies. But if you like your pizza, just cheese. If you like your pizza with say a classic pepperoni, they got you covered at heat pizza bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at government Plaza. Uh, you're going to have your football weekend for you there at Heat. So if you're not going to Starkville, I can tell you, a great, great place to take in Saturday's game between Alabama and Mississippi State. Those 60-inch televisions at Heat, they're going to be all fired up. They're going to all have the game. Do it this weekend. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Speaking of downtown Tuscaloosa, what about Brick and Spoon and Saturday morning? Saturday morning, what better way? What better way to get any morning going than with Brick and Spoon in downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square? I've told you about the shrimp and grits. You get that uh, poached egg on top. Maybe you do it a little different, like I do. I like the egg over medium. Either way is going to work just fine with those shrimp and grits. They're going to take care of you with a great selection of omelets. You get there a little bit later, maybe brunch is more your thing. They can do that as well. Great brunch options, great sandwiches, you name it. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa. And of course, you got to top it off with one of those signature. Bloody Marys. You can get them just about any way you want them. They have a build your own bloody 
Bloody Mary enthusiast and you haven't been to Brick and Spoon, well, I got to question whether or not you're actually a Bloody Mary enthusiast. It's Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. They keep a count down there on a chalkboard of the Bloody Marys sold, and it, it rings up pretty fast. I think they they, they got to be in the thousands by now. Hey, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like the old Jerry Lewis telethon on <laughs> Labor Day weekend when we were kids. That's going way back, huh? Good bread. <laughs> yeah. And they uh, Jerry and Ed McMahon, let's go to the tote board. You know, at two thirty a.m. and I'm like eight, staying up watching the whole thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, talking to underscore Tide, Chase Goodbread, and Travis Ryer with you. Uh, talking SEC football around the league the last few minutes, and there's really only one game to talk about. That's Georgia getting together with the Auburn Tigers, and it ties into Alabama, of course, Travis, uh, with the CFP conversation. And, and just to throw that out while we're discussing it, uh, the latest CFP rankings, LSU 1, of course, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, Alabama 5, Oregon 6. So with a loss to LSU, Alabama sits just outside the top four coming off its loss. Uh, you could hear a collective groan from Alabama hate nation, I think, Travis, that they didn't <laughs> fall any further than that. The 38. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, Georgia at Auburn, it's a game Alabama fans are going to want to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I'm of the belief that Georgia actually can do more damage to Alabama's CFP hopes than really any other team in it. Obviously, Oregon's sitting there right behind Alabama at number six. Uh, if you're an Alabama fan, you wouldn't mind to see your old assistant coach, Mario Cristobal, maybe slip up down the stretch because of those two Pac-12 teams, I think Oregon is the only one that could be a threat to Alabama. I don't think Utah, even if Utah wins out, I just don't see Utah, even as a one-loss conference champion from the Pac-12, getting in ahead of a one-loss non-conference champ in Alabama. Crazier things, I guess, could happen. Um, but Georgia, if Georgia wins out through the SEC championship game, that that eliminates, you got to think, Alabama. Assuming the Big Ten champ is in, Assuming Clemson is in, assuming you know that the SEC champ is going to get in. Now, if you're Alabama, you'd love for that to be an undefeated LSU team. LSU, just go ahead and run the table. Uh, you wouldn't mind, and I know you got to hold your nose a little bit this week if you're an Alabama fan, you wouldn't mind Auburn beating Georgia this week and kind of setting up a, a big, big game uh, for, for the Iron Bowl. It's always big, but I mean, in terms of the national perspective, uh, taking on a an even brighter light. So still some things to play out, man. I, I know this happens every year. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth. Uh, but it seems like we never learn our lesson when it comes to the CFP or even back in the BCS era, era. You know, all the crazy things that can happen over the course of the final three weeks of the regular season. A lot can definitely happen. There's no doubt about it. Uh, sitting and looking at things as we sit now, I don't count Alabama out. I'm not sure I like their chances quite as much as you do. I wonder, and we'll talk about the brand argument here for just a second, the brand discussion, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And, and we're, we're not inventing that discussion, Travis, here, because it got invented uh, the last time Alabama failed to win its division and still made the CFP. The Alabama brand was, was uh, pinated, basically, uh, nationally, that that Alabama didn't belong, et cetera. So uh, that 
we're going to bring that discussion up again. I think there's no doubt that the Alabama brand helps helps the Crimson Tide when it comes to the CFP discussion. The TV ratings, you know they're going to be strong. The star power's there with a guy like Tua Tungavaloa. A lot of reasons to put Alabama in. But I also think this committee at some level feels some counter-pressure uh, to leave Alabama out for the first time. And when your best non-conference win is a Duke team that's not very special and you don't win your division, you create the arguments against uh, sure. that, that are going to that, – that, you know, may cost them. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt, but I also agree with you on the brand. Uh, I've made the analogy here in the last couple of days. You know, this isn't the Pepsi challenge, okay? And so when they put a Pac-12 team's resume next to Alabama's resume, uh, and if you just did the Pepsi challenge and the the, uh, committee folks were blindfolded or those names weren't on the resumes, yeah, they they would probably say, you know what, we're going to go with the the conference champ with one loss, but they still put the names, you know, the names are on the resumes. So, you know, in Alabama, whether you like it or not, Alabama, as my late grandfather called it is Coca-Cola. And, uh, you know, compared to Pepsi, no, no offense. If you like Pepsi, great, but we're just talking about brand recognition here. And there's a reason why the Pepsi challenge was always conducted in a way that you didn't know what you were trying between Coke and Pepsi, because if you knew what you were trying, right. You were probably going to go with Coke because your brand recognition perked up when it came to that. You're right, though, about the counter side to that in terms of the Bama fatigue. That's what we're going to find out for. Just how extensive, how deep is Bama fatigue at this point if it comes down to it? And, of course, there's not a word about brand anywhere in the CFP selection committee criteria. Uh, No. But but, Either way. uh, Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's it's uh, it's something that that comes up. It surrounds the Alabama CFP discussion, whether they look like they're in or out, seemingly yeah. every year. And to whatever extent it influences the committee, it also comes down to the kind of brand that Alabama is competing with to get in. For instance, uh, if if Alabama is competing with an OU. Uh, yeah. and, and OU's got a little better, better resume. That's a big problem for Alabama, but let's say it's somebody like a Baylor. OU's Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> Baylor is Baylor. It Baylor, Pepsi. Forget it. I yeah. mean, Baylor is Shasta. Remember Shasta? <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, or the, or, or the grocery store brand, right? Right. Right. That just said cola on it. Yeah. That's Baylor right now. No, I, and I, and I don't think Oregon, Oregon is Pepsi. You know, I mean, all the uniforms, the Nike affiliation, all those things. Uh, we've seen Oregon uh, lose in the initial college football playoff national championship game. So there is some type of track record uh, in the event. But um, no, I, I we, we can say it doesn't matter. And, and here, here's the bottom line, too. I mean, if, if it comes down to a fourth team and it's Alabama, it's Oregon, Utah, you know, those type of teams. You're going to tell me you really, really believe Oregon or Utah in a net neutral field would beat Alabama. Does anybody really believe that? I don't. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, what what about that for a uh, an evaluation factor? What about just simply saying, okay, if we look at Alabama and Oregon and Utah together, or Oregon or Utah, we, we, really, we really in our heart of hearts think 
one of those two teams is a better team than Alabama on a neutral field. Yeah. Going to be interesting to see how this thing shakes out. Georgia at Auburn, though, your thoughts there. Uh, does Fromm get it done uh, at Auburn? Does, does does Auburn pull this thing off? It, I, I kind of like Georgia to win that game, to be honest. Yeah, this is a game I think the late, great Larry Munson would have absolutely loved because I'm not sure there's going to be more than 35 total points scored. I just see a total grinder. And if you're Auburn, that's what you want because if it does come down to the passing game, uh, and quarterback play in general in the passing game, you got to like Jake Fromm in this game over Bo Nix. Um, you got to like Georgia's offensive line uh, compared to, say, Auburn's offensive line. Two really good defenses. I'm going to enjoy it. I love that kind of football. We don't get enough of it these days anymore with the way the game has changed so much. But I'm with you. I, I, I got the, I think the, the better players at the more impactful positions, and, and I'm a line of scrimmage guy, as we know. But if we're going to talk about quarterback play still having a, a big say in things, um, Lawrence Cager at the wide receiver position, uh, George Pickens maybe coming along as a true freshman for Georgia on the outside. I, I got to go with Georgia, uh, but I won't be surprised at all if Auburn wins the game playing at home. Magical things seem to happen in the month of November down on the Plains. Um, but I, I got I, I can't pick against Georgia, I guess. As much as I'm not saying I'm picking Georgia, Chase, I, I'm saying I can't pick against them in this matchup. Would a Baylor win at home over Oklahoma help Alabama even more than an Auburn win over Georgia? Or no? Wow. Um, see, I, I, I think if you can go ahead and uh, kill OU dead, you want to go ahead and kill OU dead. <laughs> Chase. Yeah. You know, as that, they say in Walker that, County. And that would do um, it. And that would do it. And I, and you say that and you think, well, God, then Baylor's still undefeated. You know, Baylor's undefeated and ranked behind two two-loss teams from the SEC and the and the CFP. So it, it's hard to imagine. Shasta. Even an unde- Shasta. You know. <laughs> yeah, even an undefeated Baylor team at the end of the year is a conference champ. Yeah. I mean, with what the CFP thinks of the Bears right now. Now, obviously, a win over OU would boost that some, but wow, it, it's that's been and, and look, Baylor's non-con was train wreck, and, and they barely won a couple of those games. So, uh, I get it from that perspective, but um, I would say Baylor beating OU would actually help Alabama more because of what we just talked about earlier: Pepsi versus Coca-Cola. And then, you know, Georgia, even if Georgia loses Saturday. Georgia can still go to the SEC championship game and wreck your season, you know, wreck your CFP hopes by uh, by upsetting LSU, right? And I think Georgia's capable of beating LSU. I really do. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. I, I don't, I, you know, you, you want you want Auburn to win the game, though, if you're an Alabama fan, because again, it's going to add weight to that Iron Bowl, and if you do get the win against Auburn, that's gonna that's gonna help you against a, a team and a resume in Oregon that perhaps is going to be even stronger to deal with than say what OU might produce. But OU's brand, man, like we talked about, it, it's still out there, you know, as a potential threat. It's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to join us for the Sunday Nighter when we break down Alabama's road game at Mississippi State. We'll talk to you then right here on Talking Tide.